coming to the introduction uh, to the book of Zechariah. And uh, this is the second to last minor prophet. It's hard to believe we've come this far. And uh, the Lord has blessed us in these studies. And I'd like to read the first chapter of Zechariah. You will uh, notice some familiar things. You'll also notice some visions. He uh, begins his prophecy with some visions all the way up to the end of chapter 6. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll be a church that's studying visions for a while. Uh, Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, the, his prophecy, uh, chapter 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, Yahweh was very wrathful against your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Return to me, declares Yahweh of hosts, that I may return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets called out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares Yahweh. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statues, which I commanded my slaves, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they returned and said, as Yahweh of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has done to us. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Sheber. <coughs> In the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came. <coughs> it's not a good start came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees which were in the ravine with red sorrel and white horses behind him. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, and said, These are those whom Yahweh has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of Yahweh, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is sitting still and quiet. Then the angel of Yahweh answered and said, O Yahweh of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, with which you have been indignant these seventy years? Yahweh answered the angel who was speaking with me with good words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, Call out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very wrathful with the nations who are at ease, for I was only a little wrathful, but they helped increase the calamity. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion, my house will be built in it, 
declares Yahweh of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again call out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, My cities will again overflow with good, and Yahweh again comfort Zion, and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there were four horns. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then Yahweh showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to cause them to tremble, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. <clears throat> so as we come to our introduction, uh, Zechariah is uh, the second of the post-exilic prophets and uh, we saw last week that, uh, or in the Haggai's introduction, uh, that he was a contemporary of Haggai and Ezra. Uh, Ezra chapter 5 and verse 1, And the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And Ezra 6.14, And the elders of the Jews were building and succeeding through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah uh, the son of Edo. Uh, both uh, roughly uh, are the year 520 and, and uh, the temple was uh, completed uh, by 515. Haggai prophesied as we saw uh, four months and Zechariah, Zechariah prophesied at least uh, two more years according to chapter 7 and verse 1 which is two years later than uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And he perhaps uh, prophesied for many more years, but the total length of his prophetic work is really unknown, the, the total. Uh, the name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers, or one whom uh, Yahweh remembers. Uh, the the uh, name Zacharias or Zachary means uh, uh, Jehovah remembers me. And uh, it's frequently found in the Old Testament. Uh, it really is a, a, common, a common name. That, uh, uh, <clears throat> but it's important. Sometimes we, see, sometimes we see prophets' names fit their ministry. Certainly here, even in chapter 1, we saw God remembers. God remembers Israel. He remembers his, his people. Uh, a word about his lineage and then a, a technical difficulty in, in uh, his lineage he mentions his uh, his uh, father Berechiah and uh, his grandfather Ido uh, Haggai had no uh, lineage mentioned uh, but then uh, if you listen to the uh, passages in Ezra only uh, Ido is mentioned so it only mentions his grandfather and, and there's different reasons maybe for that uh, there was a common thing to just mention your heritage if it goes back to the grandfather. Also, Ido was mentioned in, uh, in Nehemiah 12.4 as one of the priests that came back to Jerusalem. So it could be to connect uh, Zechariah with uh, a, a priestly family. So apparently he came from a priestly family. 
uh, but he calls himself a prophet in verse 1. He never calls himself a priest. And the passages in Ezra also call him a prophet. Uh, verse 2 of our text, the word of Yahweh came to the prophet Zechariah. The priest, the priest in the Zechariah's uh, writing is the same. It's Joshua, that, the priest that was mentioned in, in Haggai, and he's also mentioned as the priest in Zechariah. He's mentioned six different times and five times in chapter 3, and that's the picture where, uh, where uh, Satan and an angel uh, are presenting Joshua as the priest, and he has dirty garments, and then he's clean. It's a, it's a vision about God remo removing sin and, and purifying people. Uh, there is also a note uh, that uh, Zechariah is a young man. Chapter 2 and verse 4, one of the angels says to the other angel, Run, say to that young man. And uh, uh, that is Zechariah. It's similar to Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 7. You remember that Jeremiah is having some struggles with his call, even though God just said, uh, there's a whole list for this purpose. You were born for this purpose. I called you. And, uh, and Jeremiah says, wait a minute. I, I can't do this. I'm only a youth. I'm only a, a young man. So there is no, uh, there's no um, specific age uh, that's mentioned. But then uh, they both uh, were young men at the time of their uh, prophecy. Now, there is a technical difficulty that, that comes up in uh, in some of the things, and I thought that we would uh, uh, discuss it and go over it just so that we might learn once again how to deal with some of these problems. Uh, Zechariah's name is mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 35, as one who perished and was murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And uh, he's Jesus is assigning the guilt of all the slain prophets from Abel uh, to this Zechariah, uh, and he's, he says it's, it, it, it's on this generation. It's, uh, um, you remember Matthew 23 is all the woes against the Pharisees, and, and this is really kind of like the, one of the climactic things, because he's telling them, you've rejected all the prophets. You've killed them all from Abel to uh, Zechariah. Now, there is a... Uh, a Zechariah that's mentioned in 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 20 in the reign of Joash the king. And uh, this Zechariah uh, has the spirit of the Lord come upon him and he preaches and he tells the people that they're doing wickedly and they, they attack him and they kill him uh, in, in the temple. And so uh, Jesus is basically saying from the, from the first murder of a righteous man by wicked man till the last murder of a prophet, that, that's, that's what you've been doing. Genesis is the first book of the Hebrew Bible. Second Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the problem with the Second Chronicles account is it's a couple of hundred years before this prophecy. So, so that's the difficulty. So is Jesus talking about this Zechariah or is he talking about the other one and something else happened uh, in between? Joash's reign was in the 700s sometime. This is in the 500s. And the second Chronicles 
Zachariah's father's name is Jehoiada, and, and that's mentioned multiple times. Uh, there's not an interchange. Sometimes we just saw the interchange, didn't we? He says, I'm the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, and Ezra's, Ezra says he's the son of Ido. It's still the same, it's still the same line. It's just a different way that it's uh, expressed. Uh, so Jehoiada was instrumental in many reforms of Israel, and uh, he dies, and God raises up his son, Zechariah. So now there's some, there's some suggested solutions uh, to this issue. How can you have one prophet named Zechariah, who's killed by wicked people, in Second Chronicles, the last book of the Bible, which would fit Genesis to Second Chronicles, and his father is Jehoiada, and Jesus mentions one who's the son of Berechiah, which would mean this one, our Zechariah. Um, so, first of all, uh, there could be an interchange of names. Maybe there's a there's another person in the family uh, of uh, Jehoiada, uh, and Jehoiada was the grandfather, not the father. But that doesn't take care of the time issue. The time issue is the big thing. The, the, the man that was killed in Second Chronicles is t about 200 years before. Um, maybe this uh, Jehoiada had more than one name. Uh, uh, there also, uh, the third possibility could be that uh, the, the reference to uh, the Second Chronicles, uh, Zechariah, stands on its own. And, and Jesus is mentioning an, a non-recorded murder of our Zechariah in, in, in what he mentioned. You follow that so far? So here's, here's Zechariah, son of Jehoiada. He got murdered by King Joash, 700s. 200 years later, it's not recorded, but Jesus says this prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, was murdered, but it's not recorded in, in the scripture. But it's, it still fills the gap. Uh, there's also uh, some early uh, ch changes in the text in the Greek. And, and there are some texts that put son of Berechiah on the end of what Jesus says, and some that do not. And you can have questions about that. Well, why that, would that happen? Well, uh, you can look at any Greek text and, and find out all the manuscripts that, that uh, say different things. Uh, literally, uh, have you ever written a letter or a, a correspondence where you put the on the end of one line and the on the beginning of the next line? So you're writing and you put the and then the, the, and you made a, you made a typo by yourself. There's some simple, there's some simple mistakes in uh, 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 manuscripts, uh, the Greek more than the Hebrew, because the Hebrews literally counted every character. So if they counted all the characters that were written and they got, to the, they got to the book of Leviticus and say, wait a minute, your copy has one more character than the other one, they, they would go back and they'd figure it out. There's much less, much less uh, question. Uh, so manuscripts have to be compared and some fit this in. Here was a scribe maybe who thought, oh, yeah, Zachariah, he's so-and-so, and he just put in son of Berechiah because some have it and some don't. Uh, uh, but the, the, really, it's the time gap that's too great to uh, bring them together uh, uh, since 
since uh, manuscripts can be changed and some do and some don't, maybe maybe this fellow was zealous and he thought he had the right Zechariah and put that in. I would think maybe our Zechariah uh, perished in an unrecorded thing if Jesus said this is the one who perished. Uh, but the but the same thing the same thing holds true about the point from the time that Abel was murdered to the time the last prophet was murdered in Second Chronicles or our Zechariah, uh, uh, evil people, wicked people have been persecuting uh, the righteous. Uh, some say that text, textual addition is uh, an answer. It's a plausible possibility. Uh, others say uh, there's not enough, enough information. Others say, yes, it must be an unrecorded uh, murder. Uh, and what we have to do is we have to be careful and take our time. We, we learn things from a study like this. I didn't particularly want to go through it, but you learn. The knee-jerk reaction is, oh, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. The Bible is full of errors. Who's, who's who? You, you, you have to stop and think through it. Uh, the other thing that, that we learn is uh, that we have to depend on others who study the text more carefully than us. There's nothing wrong with coming to a difficult passage and looking at a good commentary and saying, well, there could be four or five possibilities, but the bottom line is somebody might say, we still don't have enough information. Uh, uh, liberals and unbelievers w would just push the fact that, oh, this is all wrong, and this is that, and this is that. But, but we can figure it out. If Abel was killed then, and the Zechariah in Second Chronicles was killed, that spans the whole revelation of the Old Testament. And if this Zechariah was killed in an unrecorded murder, it really fits the same thing. It's just 200 years uh, later uh, than Second Chronicles. It only took me 20 minutes to confuse everybody. <laughs> so... Uh, the time of uh, Zechariah is recorded. Uh, there's three timestamps. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, it's the second year of the eighth month uh, of Darius, and it's two months after Haggai began. And you remember, uh, Haggai only preached four months. So Zechariah starts, and Haggai only has two months left. Uh, then in chapter uh, 1, verse 7, it's the 11th month of the 24th day, two months after Haggai's final prophecy. So Haggai's already done uh, by one chapter 1, verse 7, which begins the, uh, uh, the visions. And then the final timestamp is chapter 7 and verse 1, and it says the fourth year, the fourth day, the ninth month. That's almost two months uh, almost two years later. So, we, we know he preached at least two years, outlasted Haggai by quite a bit, and there's the same spiritual conditions as Haggai. There's discouragement. Uh, you remember the, the, the surrounding nations went against them to get a decree made to, to stop building. Now they started building again, but there's still opposition. So it's the same, uh, it's the same climate. So 
we've, we've looked at this difficulty, we've looked at the time, his name, his lineage, and then some uh, themes and purposes. And, and really here is where the book of Zechariah uh, explodes in, into being a, a very, very important book for us to study. Uh, the ESV study Bible says that Zechariah has 14 themes. And I uh, chose not to, not to go over the 14 themes. But that's how detailed it is. That's how much information is, is being put out there. Uh, that's a good indication uh, that they, they see so many streams of thought. Uh, I wrote down uh, six uh, to, to try to collate. But the same as Haggai... Zechariah's prophecy is to rouse and encourage the people uh, to rebuild the temple. The second thing is to demonstrate Yahweh's faithfulness, just like Haggai, because Yahweh says, now you're out of bondage. I brought you to this time. You remember, he said, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is just a demonstration of my faithfulness. And, and overall, more, much more in Zechariah than Haggai, we're going to see what purposes God is working out and what the, and what the goal is uh, in the future. Uh, thirdly, exhort them concerning their sins and establish them in the right standing with Yahweh. He starts with uh, an exhortation, uh, get right with God, and says, remember your fathers, where are they now? I talked to them with all the prophets and they didn't listen. So that exhortation is, is uh, over the whole thing, as uh, Haggai said in, in his prophecy. Uh, more uh, than uh, many other prophets, Zechariah points to the Messiah, who is the only hope for the future. It's, uh, it's one of the biggest uh, themes. Uh, Zechariah also has the note, of the final victory over all uh, enemies, and there's fulfilled prophecy and predictive prophecy. So he's going to say, you're in this condition because this is what I've done already. The vision's in chapter one. That's, that's, those are fulfilled already. And then there's stuff that, that hasn't been fulfilled. Uh, the, the ESV study Bible says the book of Zechariah is densely mined, like mined out of the ground, mined for quotations uh, by the Old Testament. There are many clear prophecies concerning the com coming Messiah, and it's quoted very often. Uh, somebody, can give me a, somebody can give me a Zechariah prophecy that's fulfilled in the New Testament, can't they? See, I can't hear. I, I have bad ears. I can't hear this. <laughs> Which? Jesus rode into uh, Jerusalem on the right. And, uh, and they'll, they'll look on him who were pierced. Same thing. But um, it, the verses that we're going to study, a number of the writers mention, they, they plug you into the to, to the to the, to the real crux of Jesus' whole ministry. You, your Messiah is going to come on a donkey. You remember the exposition in Mark. That, that's a week. That's a week before he, he's killed and crucified. It's important 
The look on him who is pierced, we'll, we'll talk about that. That's after he's dead. So Zechariah 9, 9 is in Matthew 21 and John 12. Your king comes on a donkey. Zechariah 11, 12, and 13, you know this one already. Matthew 27, 9, and 10, the whole thing about the 30 pieces of silver in the potter's field. It's right there. Uh, Zechariah 12, 10, one of the most, one of the most amazing uh, passages in the scripture to me. Zechariah 12, 10, they'll, they'll look on him who, whom they have pierced. We'll, we'll turn to uh, John uh, 19, verse 37. And it's um, it's encouraging because because there's all this stuff that's going on. Uh, John 19. The Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross of the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So. So here are men that just condemned and killed an innocent man, and they're concerned that bodies won't be on the cross uh, uh, in, the, in the part of the preparation time. That, that is the, the height of hip, hypocrisy, isn't it? Uh, our leaders and leaders in the, in the world are, are no less hypocritical than that. Oh, we can't, we can't have bodies on the cross in the preparation day. Take it down. Uh, and yet, hours before, they were screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. One guy randomly, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. First prophecy fulfilled. Right there, right in Zechariah. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. It's important that that's there. Because if two random prophecies are fulfilled in one Soldier jabbing Christ with a spear, you better listen to John's witness because it's not a circumstance, it's not a coincidence, it's fulfilled prophecy. It means that God sovereignly ordained all these events. And a random soldier, why would you pierce somebody's side with a spear? Does that make any sense? He's already dead. I'll just give him a jab. And two prophecies get fulfilled. And John says, I saw it with my own eyes, and I want you to see it with your eyes. And that's, that's Zechariah. Look at the Messiah. Look what he did. Look what happened. We've been waiting for millennium for the Messiah. And brethren, we're completely without an excuse because we look back. We know we know that he came, but John underscores it. He who has seen has borne witness. It's a, it's a key theme in, in, uh, in the Gospel of John. 
Witness, 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 witness. For these things came to pass in order that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken, Psalm 34.20. And, and other passages about the sacrifice of a lamb. You couldn't take a lamb to go sacrifice that had broken bones. So Exodus and Numbers have passages too. No broken bone lambs on the altar. And this lamb was not broken either. And again, scripture says they shall look on him whom they have pierced. And it comes because one guy said, don't break his bones. He's already dead and pierced him with a spear. And that's, and those are the details of the text. Zechariah 12 and uh, I mean, Zechariah 13, 7 in Matthew 26, 31 and Mark 14, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Uh, Revelation 1 and verse 3, the, the, the risen Christ, it says, they'll look on him who he pierced, right? In all his glory, that's what they'll see. And then they'll even be more in distress than when he died on the cross and people beat their breasts and said, surely he was an innocent man. Because now they'll see him in glory and they'll realize, yeah, we, uh, we pierced him. Uh, these are undeniable fulfillments that overwhelmingly validate uh, the words of Zechariah, the ministry of Jesus, and God's sovereign control over all things. You, you can't put those together any other way. One soldier with one spear. Jesus is dead already. Two prophecies are fulfilled. And John says, I saw it, and now I want you to see it. There's other passages like uh, Zechariah 8.16, which is, uh, is mentioned in Ephesians uh, 25. And, and, then, and then this is interesting, and I think we'll have to pay attention as we go along. It says, besides, there are numerous allusions which are difficult to assess. An allusion is something that sounds like something else. One estimate finds 54 passages from Zechariah in about 67 other places in the New Testament. That's interesting, right? I, I kept thinking, I want to get that book. I want to find out. Where are they all? Well, we'll have to keep our eyes open. And, and many are, are found in the book of Revelation, right? Because you now you have, you have angel-interpreted visions, interpreted visions right here. And that's how it starts. And, and that's Revelation, angel-interpreted visions. So, Revelation and Zechariah will be alike. One, uh, one other source said there's 11 direct quotes and then 64 pieces and allusions in the New Testament. And uh, a, a good study Bible or that uh, the treasury of scripture knowledge will really help you to, to, to find those. But you just, you just kind of see them woven in there. The passages that we, we looked at are so direct and so clear, they should inspire faith. But we should also remember that the, that the Bible leaves those marks, right? There's little footprints all throughout. It's all connected together, right? One of the errors about the book of Revelation is people come to it standalone. Oh, I'm going to study Revelation now. And they forget all the rest. But Revelation is just connected, directly connected in hundreds of ways and connected by sim symbolism and illusion in thousands of ways. And, and, and so that's what this is, that's what this is saying. 
there's many features in the book. There's futuristic prophecy. There's uh, conventional oracles of judgment. There's oracles of uh, redemption. Uh, there's visions that embody this uh, symbolic form of what of what God plans to do. Uh, it uh, uh, the the one uh, guide said you, you can approach it like the like the uh, the book of Revelation, but but this is to activate the imagination and explore what the details symbolize. Now, now you're not reading it and then saying, Lord, activate my imagination and make me figure it out. That's wrong, wrong, wrong. These are interpreted visions by angels. And the Christian mind is different than the unbelieving mind. We've talked about that before. What we understand, even of cryptic passages, is much more than this, than unbelievers, because it relates to something that's going on with the Bible. Because why? It's all connected together. Uh, it's always revealing pictures through symbols of what God is doing. It's directly connected to the activities of God. The, he sees the horses. They go out and they look throughout the whole entire earth and check it out. Who is the only one who can go throughout the entire world and check it out? Yes, you're right. So, so that's not that hard. We don't have to make myrtle trees something and horses something else and this and that necessarily. But we know this is something about God's omniscience. This is something about God's power. What are horns used for? The next one. Horns. Who sees horns? Uh, Daniel sees horns. Here they come. Here they come. Revelation sees horns. Horns are all over the place. And what does he say? It's all the nations that mess with my people. And now I'm going to send these carpenters or these craftsmen and they're going to take them apart and the, what's going to happen eventually i'm going to favor my people and i'm going to favor jerusalem that's that's a broad picture isn't it you say how'd you get that from horns because the angel told me so we, we interact in a different way because it's all talking about what god is doing Uh, and then uh, uh, briefly uh, uh, about our outline. Well, maybe not too briefly. Briefly, the outline. Once again, the outline was just too complicated. So I just went for the, the sections of the book. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 is a call to repentance. Chapter 1, verses uh, 7 through chapter 6 and verse 15 are eight visions and what the study Bible calls a sign act. So there's eight visions, and then there's a picture of God setting Joshua as the high priest, which is a picture of the priestly reign of the Messiah, which is put together later on. Eight visions and a sign act, chapter 1, verse 6, to chapter 6, verse 15. Chapter 7, uh, verse 1, through 823, 
you might say this is didactic. It's teaching or conventional oracles. There are no visions. From the end of chapter 6, there are no more visions in the book, right? There's the liberal stumbling block, right? There's the, oh, well, it must be like six other people wrote Zechariah. No, just give him some time. He'll explain himself. Uh, didactic portions, conventional oracles, and chapter 7, verse 1, and 8, verse 1, both begin with the phrase, and the word of the Lord came. Then the fourth section is chapter 9, verse 1, through 11, verse 17, uh, which I called oracles of judgment, different oracles against uh, other nations and things like that. And chapter 9, verse 1, starts with the burden of the word of Yahweh. Chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 14, verse 21, the end of the book, oracles of the future. It's all looking ahead, and that also starts with the burden of the word uh, of Yahweh. And just probably as we close, we'll look at the future language, turn to chapter 12 and verse 1, and uh, this is intense language uh, of what God is going to do. Chapter uh, 12, verse 1, the burden of the word of Yahweh, uh, then notice chapter 12, verse 2. I am about to make Jerusalem. Chapter 6, I mean, verse 6, excuse me, on that day. Verse 7, Yahweh will give salvation. Verse 8, on that day. Verse 9, on that day. Verse 10, and I will pour. Verse 11, on that day. Who's in control of on that day? Yahweh, who, who is the, who's the active person in all those? I will, it's, it's Yahweh. Chapter 13, verse 1, just follow along. Verse 1, on that day. Verse 2, on that day. Verse 4, on that day. You say, we get the point. Well, then you can look at chapter 14 and verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for Yahweh. Chapter 14, verse 4. On that day, his feet shall stand. Verse 6, verse 8, verse 13, verse 20, on that day. Well, that's, that's kind of staggering, isn't it? Well, two things we have to notice. God is planning to do a lot of things. There's a passage in Zechariah that says, do not despise the day of small things. It's a reminder of where they were. You see this temple? What is it going to look like? We just got scraps of wood. Nobody's helping us. They're, they're fighting against us. They're doing this. They're doing that. We don't have enough people. This is bad. Where's the Lord to help us? Then he says, I'm going to help you. And the, and the thing gets built. It's not like the old one, but it gets built. But what God is telling us and what God was telling them, I have much, 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 much more that I'm going to do. And I am going to execute it. I am going to make sure that every detail, that every on that day, there's like 16 of them that we just looked at. Every on that day will happen and occur in Yahweh's timing, in God's plan, just the way he planned it. And the passages that we looked at already make sure that we can 
put that in the bank of faith. Well, if Jesus just got on a donkey and rode into Jerusalem, that fulfilled prophecy, that helps my faith. Well, if, 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 if God said, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, then that got fulfilled, that, that, that strengthened my faith. But all these on that days show us that God is planning to do a lot. And once again, we get to look back. Some things have happened already. Some things haven't happened yet. But God will accomplish all his holy will. That's the second point. God is planning to do a lot of things. And the second point is God will accomplish a lot of these things. We'll close with the, with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be our name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you realize that Jesus taught us to pray a prayer that will be answered? It, it, it's not just a formula. Zechariah, the book of Revelation, all the prophets and all the gospels are an answer to the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on heaven as it is on earth. That is what's going to happen. Everything that God has planned will be executed in heaven and in earth according to that plan. In that sense, Jesus gives us an easy prayer to pray because when we have faith and when we see all the things that God is doing, uh, uh, then we can be encouraged. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for our studies in these prophets. We're thankful for the amazing things that uh, are continually unfolded before our eyes. We are thankful for your word and the, uh, the stirring up and the excitement it gives us even to, to study and learn more and grow. We pray that you would guide us through those passages that may seem a little difficult. And then the clear passages, Lord, we ask that you would shine them into the deepest parts of our souls to, to help our faith to grow and prosper. Uh, under your guidance and by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.